How do I heal after infidelity? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. question it's it's the it's the weekly question it seems like yeah i mean it's 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 burning on pretty much every one of our listeners minds right now well what's cool is we're going to get a little bit maybe different angle today some different ideas different thoughts so i'm excited about that but we'll get to that in a minute um we did want to say we would love to um fill up our guest list a little bit more so we have guests um coming on consistently uh, but we're looking for for guests. So how do how do you if you want to be on our show, and if you have a problem you want to discuss, or if you just just want to talk to us about anything, how do you find us, Tyler? Realtalkrecovery.com. The very front page it says ask a question, and there's two options. You can either type a question. We're less likely to get to those faster than if you hit the other button that says, come on the show and ask a question. We'd love to have you, you guys listen, you know that the guests are what make our podcast so awesome. So if you'd like to come on and get your question answered and also contribute to what makes the podcast so great, realtalkrecovery.com, ask a question, really simple to sign up and get on the schedule. And there, like. and there is no topic that we shy away from. So whatever you're you're dealing with, whatever the struggle is, uh, Tyler, Tyler and I are happy to dig into it with you and at least give you our perspective and what may, might be helpful for you. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you guys come on. So, well, yeah, Brandon, should we jump into it here? Let's do it. All right. We're kind of excited today. We've got a guest actually coming on to help share some information today. We don't often get that. We just have callers coming in. Um, we have Dr. Wyatt Fisher on with us today. He's a He's a licensed psychologist, doctorate in psychologist in Boulder, Colorado, and he's he's kind of all over the place right now. He's been published in a lot of different places. He's got a lot going on. We're grateful to get his time today. The cool thing about Dr. Wyatt is, is that not only does he have a background professionally in psychology, being able to help in exactly the realm we're talking about, but he also is pretty, pretty open on his bios about the reason why he has the passion is because he's got some personal experience with having come from a divorced home, blended families. And then also he's got his own transitional story of his own marriage as well. So Dr. Wyatt, so glad to have you on today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, well, Dr. Wyatt, I, I mean, I'm going to ask the big question, I guess, <laughs> but we can drill down from there. Um, when, when we talk about infidelity, um, Tyler and I talk about this all the time. We talk about betrayal, healing from betrayal, and infidelity. Um, where do you start? How, how do you, how do you even begin this whole thing? Yeah. So I have six steps that I encourage couples to go through who've experienced infidelity. And so if you'd like, we can just, I can just walk through those six steps that I encourage couples to consider when they've experienced betrayal in their relationship. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. So the first one is ceasing all contact with the affair person. And this is the hardest step, because if you're the one who's having the affair, research shows having an affair lights up the same reward center in the brain as crack cocaine, because this affair person is, you know, 
you're living in a utopia, this isolated bubble of having this affair and this relationship is insulated from all life stress. It's insulated from finances, from children, from all of these things. And so it creates this extreme high in the brain. And so a lot of people are under the delusion that once I've had an affair with someone, or once I've crossed the line, I can still be in contact with them. Mm -hmm. I can still work with them. I can still go to church with them. I can still be neighbors with them. And you can't. And the reason you can't is because once you cross that line, the chances of feelings coming back are always there. And the betrayed partner is not going to be able to heal if they know you still have contact with the affair person. And so if you want to recover the marriage, the first step is you have to get that person you've had the affair with 100% out of your life. And sometimes that means drastic measures need to occur, such as changing jobs, changing neighborhoods, changing cities even. Uh, so that's the num- that's the first step um, because again, it creates that that addiction. It is an addiction. When you have an affair, an active affair, it is, is akin to having an addiction. And so if you're getting off heroin, you would never go back to the corner where the dealer is just to say hi, right? So yep. you would have to get away from all those triggers Um, And that's the first step. And it's a hard step because often the person who's having the affair is torn because they're in this high with the person, but they also feel conflicted with their commitment to their family. Uh, But if that step's not in place, the rest of the steps don't really work. Yeah. I I think Dr. Wyatt, you you kind of hit on something that I think is something that doesn't get talked about enough, but it, but it's so true because it, because it's an uncomfortable conversation to have to have, but when we've formed a connection with somebody else, there is a grieving process of having to give up that connection, even though the betrayed partner hates to hear that part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then of course, all the challenges and changes that have to sometimes take place to, to get that lack of connection. It not only affects the person who's been having the affair, it affects the whole family sometimes when there is a job change or something else. And, <clears throat> and so the betrayed partner often has a really hard time accepting the reality that somebody else's choice is, is affecting their life in that way too. Yeah. 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 And there's a continuum of affairs that make it easier or harder to follow that step. So if you have a one night stand with someone, it's much easier to cease all contact compared to if you've been developing an emotional affair for six months to a year or longer, and it may or may not have turned sexual yet. Those are actually the affairs that are harder to break and cease all contact because you've let that person into your heart. And you've developed feelings for them. And so those are the affairs people think of one night stands as, you know, those must be the hardest because you've had sex that may or may not be. Actually, it's the emotional affairs that may or may not have turned sexual that are the harder ones to cease all contact. Yep. This is, I see a lot of like gaslighting um, go on with this. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's kind of obvious, like get away from your drug of choice. Um, if you're going to heal your marriage, then you need to be done with that relationship. But a lot of times the person who has um, betrayed uh, says things like, well, it's not that big a deal. Like I can handle myself or your jealousy is the bigger problem. Like I can, you know, we can, I can be on a team at work with this person. I get some work done and you're the one freaking out here. Um, so there's a lot of turn of the tables. And, and so not only, I, I think, not only should they get away from that person for their own recovery so that they don't go back to it, but also it shows a commitment to their, to, to really worrying about their partner's pain. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. 
Yeah. Because again, if you're the betrayed partner, there's no way you're going to heal. If you know your spouse who had the affair is working with that person every day or on the, on the tennis club with that person every weekend, there's no way hanging out at church with them. Like, yeah, there's no way that he, yeah. So it's going to keep the betrayed partner in a constant state of panic, of worry, of distrust. Um, and it is, I mean, you, if you've had an affair, it's a respectful act in response to say, I'm getting that person hundred percent out of my life. If yes. you're choosing your family, right. I mean, you, you may choose the affair person and that's fine. If you go that direction, that's your choice. But if you're choosing to want to work on your marriage, you have to get that person out of your life. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Great. That's a great start. Let's, let's go to number two, Dr. Wyatt. So number two is open up all accounts to prove you have no more contact with the affair person because you've broken trust. So we can't trust your words. So now you got to prove it. So yeah, maybe you've proved it by switching jobs, but are you still texting them? Are you still emailing them? Are you still meeting up with them somewhere? So step two is open all accounts. And so that includes, I mean, these things should be open to begin with, whether there's been an affair or not, just to have an open door policy for trust but opening up all social media accounts, opening up all emails, opening up all financial bank accounts, everything where both partners have eyes on both partners' information. Um, And that just creates accountability. And this is a hard step because those who've had the affair will get really defensive around this. And if the more defensive they get, the more guilty they seem, Mm -hmm. right? And this only works if they have a willing heart. I mean, if they're really wanting to restore the marriage, they really want to, you know, mend the fences with their betrayed partner, then they will have a willing heart to open up all accounts because they have nothing to hide. I'm glad I'm glad you bring that up because I was going to say that opening the accounts is wonderful so that your partner can see how much money's in the bank and see what you've been doing on Instagram or whatever it is, right? Um, but that does not rebuild the trust. It's the heart. It's it's the intention of the partner that really matters. Hey, I love you. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to fight for our relationship. And I internally am motivated to do these things because I care about our relationship. I'm not being forced to do this because, you know, Dr. Wyatt says I have to, or, or because you're making me, um, I'm doing this because I want to do this and I want, I want to do this reparation work. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so it is a matter of the heart and I've worked with couples and I've seen it go both directions. You know, some wayward partners fight this tooth and nail and that reflects their heart and others are more than willing to share yeah. everything because I I, I want to do all I can to repair this. So here's my phone. Here's my accounts. Take everything. Look at everything. I don't care. And that's the heart that we're after because that's the heart that's truly repentant and wants to restore the relationship. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, you, you used a couple of words and I just want to, for our, our listeners to hear, you use the word accountability and then both you and Brandon use the word willingness. And I think there's one more word to throw into that, which is transparency. And when you get those three things together, that's where you can actually start looking at healing and moving forward. And when those things aren't there, it's just really, really difficult to move on. That's right. And so some people will ask, well, what do I do if my partner is wanting to restore the marriage, but they won't cease all contact. They won't open up all accounts, yet they expect me to get over it. And so there's two options if you're in that situation, and this happens quite a bit. And that's the person who wants their cake and eat it too. Like, I'm going to have an affair, but I'm not going to do the proper steps to let you heal. 
Um, I want to stay in contact with that person, or you need to just trust me that I don't have contact anymore. And so you see that a lot where the, the person who has the affair has that posture. And so what I recommend to the betrayed partner, if that occurs, is two things. Uh, first step is expose the affair. So if your partner has had an affair and they refuse to stop contact with that person and they refuse to open up accounts, the first step is expose it to family and friends. Now, what that does is it bursts their bubble and it allows them ideally to get feedback from other trusted people in their life to speak truth to them. Because again, you're in this insulated, you know, utopia when you're having an affair and sometimes we need it to be exposed so that we have other people calling us and contacting us saying, what are you doing? Like, how can you be doing this to your family? Sometimes we need direct communication like that. So the first round of defense is expose, expose the affair. And Dr. Wyatt, can I just uh, yes. ask you something there? Yep. Because I think a, a lot of people, uh, the the betrayers would say, well, that's vindictive. That's vengeful. That's, is that really the right thing to do? Like, mm -hmm. and I, I actually think that it is if it's done in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I can see a partner feeling like, well, I, you know, in my integrity, can I really go tell, you know, his, his dad that this happened? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I view it as a choice. Like you've chosen to, to break our trust. So I'm giving you an option to make things right. If you choose not to make things right by ceasing all contact and opening accounts, then my next course of action is to expose the affair. Yes. And so if you think about the betrayed partner's experience, they lose power. They have no power when their partner cheats on them. They've lost all power. And so that step is designed to bring some power back. Because often the wayward partner has all the power. They're the ones who's cheating and they're the ones deciding if they're going to cease contact. They're the ones deciding mm -hmm. if they're going to open accounts. They're retaining power step by step. And that keeps the betrayed partner powerless which cripples their healing. Yep. Yep. So if that step doesn't work, if you expose the affair, and again, you're only doing that if they choose not to cooperate with ceasing contact, opening accounts, if you choose to open to expose the affair and that still doesn't work, let's say they still refuse to cease contact. They still refuse to open all accounts. The next step is get a separation, get a separation until they cooperate. And mm -hmm. see if they even do cooperate. Because at that point, they're communicating to you, I really don't care about restoring. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm, I'm just asking you to trust me with my words. I'm going to stay in contact with that person. That's not going to work for the betrayed partner. And so the next option you have at that point, after you've exposed it and that doesn't work, then you get a separation. And you cease all contact with your partner until they cooperate. So that may be a few months, that might be six months, that might be three months. But what that does is a couple of things. Uh, first of all, again, it brings some power and some control back to the betrayed partner. So they have some options there. It, it stops them from being emotionally abused because it feels emotionally abusive when you've been betrayed and you know your partner is still in touch with, the, with their affair person and they're still communicating, it's abusive. And so it's a boundary. Like, I'm going to get a separation because I can't, this is abusive toward me. That's how it feels when you're the betrayed yes. partner. Um, and it allows the wayward partner to see what they really want because maybe they don't know yet. And maybe they do need to experience life with that other person to really see what it's going to be like to not have their partner anymore. Yep. Um, and maybe that's what it's going to take for them to really make their decision. Yeah. 
it looks like you're the one dismantling the relationship when you're saying, uh, I'm going to first tell your family and then I'm going to separate from you. But you're not. You're the one just showing up honest and boundaried and saying, I want you to choose me. You're obviously not choosing me. Yeah. And so I need to be honest and with you and boundaried myself. And here's the consequences of this That's right. behavior. That's right. Yeah. Because someone who has an affair, they often have no consequences. Right. I've had the affair. I'm, I'm in love with this person, but I don't want to destroy my family, but I don't want to cease contact. I don't want to open up my accounts because that would expose I still have contact. So they're calling all the shots. Um, they're in control and there's no consequences. And unfortunately, sometimes when we're in that utopia of having an affair and we're addicted, we need some consequences to make us realize what we're doing and the impact. Yeah, really good. All right, Dr. Well, let's go to number three. So number three is showing remorse. So what I say remorse, this is the wayward partner expressing sincere remorse for their choice to step outside the marriage. Now, obviously, the climate in the marriage can increase anyone's desire to step outside the marriage. That's just human nature. So if you're in a marriage, your needs aren't being met, and you've brought it up to your partner, and you're just feeling neglected, anyone in that situation would feel some temptation to get their needs met somewhere else to outsource. So that could be both partners' fault, that climate in the relationship that increases the susceptibility. However, the choice to break the vows, the choice to step outside, that choice is 100% the wayward partner's fault. Because no matter how unhappy you are, no matter how much your needs aren't being met, at the end of the day, it's a choice to cheat. Mm -hmm. It's a choice. And so that's the part you're showing remorse for. You're not showing remorse for all of the climate of the, the marriage that made you susceptible. You're not sharing remorse for all of the needs not being met both directions, most likely in the marriage. You're only showing remorse for your decision to break the marriage vows. And so that's what that step three is about. Because if you're the betrayed partner, it is very hard emotionally to move forward if you feel like your partner really doesn't care about the choice they made. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I I think sometimes with that idea of remorse, there's like two different forms of remorse that sometimes we see too, where there's the, I'm in the doghouse. Can I please come out kind of remorse? And then there's the actual, what you might call genuine remorse, which is, I want to see and understand how I've affected you. And I, and I, I realize that my choices were my choices and I'm sorry for what I did. And there, there needs to be that like to that number three that you're talking about, it seems like the genuine remorse is really a step towards healing. And the second kind of remorse is really more of a, it's more of a manipulation than it is an actual step. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the heart, right? So just like opening all accounts really only works if your heart's in the right place and you really want to restore. Likewise with showing remorse, um, it's not just to placate your partner. It's to really show sincere, heartfelt apology for the choice that you've made. I re- I really like what you said about, you know, sometimes affairs happen because they're a cry for help. Um, there's just mis- misery going on in the relationship, and you know, so they they go have an affair because they're desperate to get out of a situation, and and all of that is is like true. And if you cheated, you chose to cheat, and. But I really like what you said about have remorse about breaking your integrity with the cheating. Um, and at the same time, there's some other work to do for this couple. Um, if 
if the affair is happening, then there's some relational work to go on both sides. And I think it's important to know that if you cheated, you got to deal with the betrayal and build that safety up again to really dig into that work and do that work. But you don't have to fall on the knife for everything because that's disingenuine and that won't start the trust building process back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people who cheat, they blame their partner, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's your fault that I cheated. And that's, that's no, a cop out. Not you true. Never, yeah. You never can say it's your fault. I cheated because therefore I'm never responsible for my decisions. Right. Right. However, it might be true that the climate in our relationship that my partner had a big part in made me more susceptible, but at the end of the day, it was still my choice. What I right. did with the feelings that I had. Right. Very good. All right. Let's go to number four. So number four is discussing the details. And so this refers to how much details of the affair should be shared with the betrayed partner. <laughs> you know, this becomes a big, it's big a golden topic. question. What's that? That's a golden question. It is. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate with, okay, how much to share, how much to not share. One guideline I, I recommend on this step right off the top is the betrayed partner gets to decide how much detail, not the wayward partner. Because often the wayward partner, again, is in control here. And they say, I'm not going to share all that. I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm not going to fill in the blank. And then the betrayed partner still feels powerless because there is this yearning when you're betrayed of, if I hear the details, somehow it's going to help me feel some mastery over this situation that I feel so powerless around. But if you're the betrayed partner, you got to be careful because the more detail you hear, the more it's going to traumatize you. And so that's a struggle because often when people are betrayed, they want to hear all the nitty gritty, all the details. And so I really help those people in that situation to really think through how much do you really need to know to know that your partner cheated? Like what's like the bottom line? And at what point does it become excessive details that are just going to harm you for years and years? Cause you're not going to be able to get those memories out of your mind. And so that's, that's a balance, but I recommend the, the betrayed partner be in control of deciding how much detail they want to hear, not the wayward partner. This is a, this is tricky. I, I agree with you totally there, but there's some, it's kind of a paradoxical, a little bit of you're in control completely as the betrayed partner to say what I, what I want to know and what I need to know. And hopefully the betrayer is transparent. And, and this is where I think good therapy really helps as the betrayed partner work with a good therapist to really stop and think about what's healthy for you to know. Like I've been reamed out, Dr. Wyatt, where I'm saying, (laughs) where I say to someone like, you don't need to know the color and size of the bra and, you know, the exact like little parts of the the sex that happened. Like, like that's not helpful for you. Right. And it's like, well, you're telling me he can lie, lie and hide things. I'm saying, no, that he, he should be an open book or, or she should be an open book. Whoever cheated. Yeah. Um, they should be an open book and it's up to you in your own healing to realize how much trauma do you want to take on here? Right. Cause if you know too little details, you can't heal. If you know too many details, you can't heal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a fine line there with how much, if I'm betrayed, how much detail do I need to satisfy? Um, Cause I've worked with people where, you know, they've intercepted their partner's text messages with the lover 
And so they've read all the detail, all the nitty yeah. gritty and it scars them for years just because they have all those images and the, the texting in their mind. And so that's one of the hardest things. If you get too much detail, it can cripple the healing. But again, if you have too little, you feel like you can't move on. Yep. Very good. All right. Let's go to number five. And one thing I was going to say with that one real quick, number four okay. is some people choose to use a lie detector test for this step. Um, Cause often what can happen. And I've seen this with couples I've worked with is the wayward partner refuses to answer the questions. And then the betrayed partner still has all these unanswered questions and they feel like they, they can't move on. And the wayward partner is telling them, just get over it. I'm not going to answer those questions. And so one compromise that I sometimes recommend in that situation is write a list of all the questions you have about the affair for the betrayed partner, and then use a lie detector company. Like it's go out and, you know, go to a lie detector place. And if your partner agrees the way we're partner to answer all those questions, your commitment in response is you're not going to bring up any more questions because often what happens is the betrayed partner will keep asking questions for years and yeah. years after the affair, often because their questions aren't answered or they just get so stuck on the trauma. They keep asking the same questions over and over and over. And then that really gets hard on the wayward partner who's trying their best to put this behind them. And so often a compromise there, and sometimes a lie detector test is needed. Sometimes it's not, but to have a list of, okay, here's my 15 questions, or here's my 10 questions. And if you answer all these questions truthfully, and we may need a lie detector test for that. So I know you're being truthful. My commitment in response is I'm going to stop asking questions because every time you keep bringing it up with new questions, it starts the healing process over again. And so it can cripple the healing if the questions never cease. Yeah. And so sometimes that's a nice compromise that can help both. That's a great suggestion, Dr. Wyatt. All right, let's go to number five. Number five is processing the hurts. Uh, so at this point, you know, this is where the wayward partner has ceased all contact. They've opened up all accounts. They've shown remorse for their decision. The couple has discussed the details that's satisfying to the betrayed partner. So at this point, it is helpful to really get into the hurts underneath the affair. And so this goes both directions. Uh, you would start with the betrayed partner with all the hurt and trauma they're feeling with how the affairs impacted them, what's done to them, what it's stirred up for them. They need to have time to express all that in a, an emotionally safe way where the wayward partner is able to really hear it and and take some ownership and provide some empathy and some apology. But then also once that's in place, it needs to go the other way as well, because the wayward partner also may have a lot of hurt that increase their susceptibility to making the poor choice of cheating. So they also need to have a chance to express their hurts that may have been present in the marriage before the affair. But that is second. That doesn't come first. You know, that comes after the betrayed partner gets to share their hurts. And then the wayward partner also gets to share theirs. We often refer to some of that work in, in step five as with our, with our kind of audience and clients as the messy middle where, you know, you have to address the thing that's bringing you into the therapy, which is usually the affair. But then after that, there is still this stuff that needs to be waded through that, that has two sides to it. And for a betrayed partner, that's really hard to actually lean back in to that space, especially yeah. if there hasn't been that validation first over 
hey, I should have made those choices by stepping out. Yeah. And I've seen couples who had an affair, an affair happened 30 years ago or 20 years ago, but because they were never able to fully process through it and talk through the hurts, it still gets brought up and it still is coming up because it was never properly handled in the first place. And one analogy is, you know, if you think of a river and the water's flowing down, but if there's a log up river, it's going to restrict the water flow. So sometimes you do have to go up river, which is going backwards in a relationship to talk about what happened in the past that was so damaging. And in this case, it's the affair. Sometimes you have to go backwards before you can go forwards. Yeah. The, the, I think the hard part is when there's a lot of shame um, and defensiveness going on inside of a person, yeah. it makes it really difficult to empathize and hold space. And yeah. so, and w- one reason why this is so trust building is when you can just sit in somebody's pain with them, you're showing them that you have the strength to do that and that you want to use your strength to build trust with them and connect to them. You're not fixing it. Um, you're not running the other direction. You're you're trying to explore with them how they're actually feeling. Um, I was watching Rocky three last night and uh, <laughs> Mick, Mick died and Rocky was in all this turmoil and pain and all this stuff. And Adrian was just there for him, just like <laughs> holding space for him, you know, and it was painful and she was just there for him. And you could see the bond, the intimacy just start to happen. And so it's, it's like that, right? Yeah. Brandon, Brandon, it's actually a pretty good analogy too, because if you look at all the Rocky movies, Adrian doesn't say more than one or two lines in any single movie. <laughs> and she's a and, great actress. And yet, and yet somehow she's there showing empathy. Sometimes empathy doesn't even take words. It just takes presence. You yeah. Know? True. Yeah. True. Yes. Yeah. And it's obviously harder to hold space for someone who's hurt you compared yes. to if that person's going through pain with something unrelated to you. That's a good right? point. So that makes it even trickier. However, um, you know, being able to work through that pain is very important. And I encourage couples, I have a conflict resolution method. I take couples through to talk about resentments. And one of the elements in that is something I call the 50% rule. And what that says is that when you're hearing the complaint from your partner, you're not expected to take full ownership for it because there were so many other factors at play. So many things were happening that weren't your fault beyond your control. However, you probably also can't say that none of that was your fault. And so the 50% rule just means as the listener to the complaint, you're in control of deciding what part of this can I own? What's the piece here that I know in my heart of hearts, I'm guilty of. And that creates freedom and it maximizes internal motivation because no one's cornering you saying you have to own all this. Um, so you have control over sifting through what's the piece, what's the kernel of truth in this complaint that I, I know I am guilty of that I can own with sincerity. That's a really nice way of stepping out of the all or nothing thinking and into a place of accountability without, yes. you know, it's a, a great shame resiliency tool, that 50% you yes. know, rule that you've got. Um, really nice. Um, okay. Number six, Dr. Wyatt. Yeah. Number six is managing triggers. So once these other steps are in place, triggers are the maintenance item usually for affairs. Um, and a trigger is if you're betrayed, let's say you're listening to a song and lion eyes by the Eagles comes on <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you're triggered with all the moments you, your partner was lying to you. And then you have a lot of you know hurt and all those emotions come back. Now, what do you do? And this is where a lot of couples struggle because the betrayed partner will often attack 
because they get flooded. And so they all get in attack mode. And then the wayward partner defends. And then it hurts the relationship and it prevents the healing. And so what I recommend for managing triggers is something for both partners to do different. So for the betrayed partner, what they need to do different, if they get triggered, first of all, is discern, is this a trigger I need to share? Because you may be having 10 triggers a day initially, or maybe it's, and eventually maybe it's five triggers a day. So the first step is, do I need to share all of these triggers with my partner? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I recommend sharing the ones that are most salient for you, the ones that are most powerful, that hit you the hardest. Those are the ones definitely to share, but don't share them in the moment. You have to get out of fight, flight, or freeze when you're flooded, because if you share it when you're flooded, it's not going to go well, because it's going to be an attack. So when you do share, wait till you're out of fight, flight, or freeze, and then just use an I statement. So an I statement means you can't say the word you. So I was watching this movie today and there was an affair scene and it just brought me back to what happened with us. And it just made me feel so sad and so hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a way you could share the trigger without saying the word you so that the other person's not feeling attacked. If you're the wayward partner, the way to respond is three things that I encourage. Uh, First thing is empathy. And a simple empathy statement to master is I can see how X would have made you feel why. So I can see how watching that movie would have brought back the memory of my affair and how hurtful that, that made you feel. So I can see how X would have made you feel why. So empathy is the first response. Second is the apology for the initial breach of trust. So I just want you to know, I am so sorry for breaking your trust, which has led to this trigger. So that's number two is the apology. Number three is the reassurance. And I also want you to know, moving forward, I'm going to put as many safeguards as needed in my life so that I am never in a vulnerable position again to break that trust. Something that's going to reassure them. So those three reactions tend to go a long way. So empathy, apology, and reassurance. And if couples can learn, it's it's a learned skill. Um, Because it's not a natural way to interact with triggers. But if couples can learn that method and then get closer to that experience with triggers, triggers can actually become micro opportunities for healing. Yeah. The the three things you just said are awesome, um, but they suck if they're not done sincerely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. Like if you use those things to try to get out of your partner's trigger and say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. You know, I can see why this is causing that. If you're just doing that to weasel your way out and around, sure. Um, then you're actually just causing more damage to that relationship. If you're doing it sincerely, those things were amazing. Like, yeah, that would really work well. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you do them insincerely, it will make things worse because your partner will pick up on it right away. Right. Yeah. And when I work with couples and then we're in this phase and I'm training them on this, I have them role play it with me several times because it does take practice. Like someone can hear it. Okay. I got it. Okay. It's, it's empathy. It's apology reassurance. And I show them and then they try it and it's nowhere close. Yeah. So we gotta, we gotta work at it several times before they get the right heart and the right phrasing down so that it feels sincere and genuine. Yeah. Like if you're apologizing for things that you you're over apologizing, that's insincere. Yeah. Right. But if you're like really apologizing for the things you've done, then your partner's going to feel that from you. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm having like an interesting compare and contrast in my own brain right now of like what's typical when a trigger comes up. It's usually the system gets hijacked. I hurry and like respond in a reactive mode. And then all of a sudden we're into either that defend and attack or defend and disappear kind of a, a game that we play contrasted against what you just said, get grounded, take your time, come back with an I statement of how I'm feeling and give the, the partner an opportunity to hold that man, like you can almost feel between those two things, a difference in what an opportunity that is towards marriage versus tearing it down even further. Yeah. Um, it's just really hard to, it's really hard to get that very first piece, which is I need to go breathe for a second, get out of my limbic system. And then I need to actually come back and actually say, Hey, that, that scene in the movie was really hard for me. That's right. Yeah. And you can choose how many of those triggers you want to share. And you may, you may realize after you get out of fight, flight, or freeze that, well, that one was kind of minor. I'm going to let that go. Um, but other times, yeah, if I don't share it, I'm going to really feel a wall. So I better share this one. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I loved Tyler. I don't know for you, Dr. Wyatt, like when, when I'm working with, with the, the betrayer and they get to a point where their partner's triggers come up and they almost look forward to it because it really gift. is, it's a building block for trust again. And it's a, a, a real opportunity for some intimacy. Um, and, and you know how it is, you guys know how it is when a couple first comes in, like they can't see that at all. It's yeah. just the worst thing ever. And it's causing chaos and friction in their relationship. Yeah. Um, but it's awesome when they realize, hey, this is vulnerability. This is emotion. At which gives us opportunity for some intimacy. Yeah. Most couples in therapy, you know, when they're in this, when they've had an affair, most of the time, what they bring up is the triggers and sessions in my experience. You know, that's like a, an ongoing problem. Um, like, yeah, this happened and it, we had its trigger and then we had a fight. You know, yeah. usually it's, it causes fights when, when there's a trigger and then it makes things worse. So, yeah. So that's what I found is helping couples learn how to manage those triggers well can actually transform them into micro opportunities for healing. Yeah. Um, and then it can become a, a stepping stones to feeling closer together as a couple and slowly rebuilding that trust. It also, one, one more thought on that being the person who's developing the skill of being able to like hold that space you're talking about through that, you know, empathy and accountability. And then also the reassurance is when you actually learn, I love that you called it a skill, Dr. Wyatt, because when you learn that skill, it actually empowers you. And you feel even more confident inside of your relationship. So when your partner comes to you with one of those things and you know you've been tooled up with that skill set, you're actually offering a different version of yourself in terms of the energy with which you approach your partner because you know you can trust yourself to do that. And, and yeah. anybody can develop that skill set if they're willing to go through the awkward application of developing it. Right. Yeah. And I tell wayward partners a lot. I was like, you know, you have a choice here. You can learn how to respond well to these triggers and that's going to reduce the triggers or you can keep doing what you're doing, not responding well, and that's going to increase the triggers because yep. often the wayward partner gets frustrated. Like, ah, they, they keep having these triggers. They keep bringing up the affair. I want them just to shut up, get over it. And understandable, right? Because they're also trying to get it behind them. So they get frustrated. What they don't realize is how they react to those triggers is either going to increase them or decrease them. And so that gives them some control also and some influence on the frequency of those affairs. They can directly impact based on how well they're responding to those triggers. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting what you just said. You can throw gasoline on the fire in those moments. Just it can yeah. just go up in flames so quickly. Um, or, or you can just hold them uh, in that, in that space. And it's, it's, it's beautiful when somebody chooses to rebuild trust. Um, so. Well, Dr. Wyatt, we, we really appreciate your willingness to come and share yourself and your expertise, your heart, your energy with us and our audience today. Um, if people are interested in finding you, where would, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, probably my podcast would be the best way. It's the Dr. Wyatt show. Uh, I put out usually one or two episodes a week. They're usually pretty short, 15 to 20 minutes and a lot of bullets, uh, very applicable types of action. So the Dr. Wyatt show is probably the best. Um, You also can go to my website, drwyattfisher.com. And my handle on social media is marriage underscore Dr. Wyatt. And that's for Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Excellent. Well, thank you. Um, for those of us, those of you guys listening, uh, throw a shout out for what Dr. Wyatt's doing here, providing the, the insights that he's given. We appreciate you being listeners here with us. We want you to know just how grateful we are for the feedback that we get from you, for the participants who come on our show. And Brandon and I really consider ourselves to be really, really lucky men because of what we get to do because of you being here listening to us. So thank you. All right, you guys, we'll see you later.